wasn't it? <laughs> well, if you have your copy of God's Word, I would love for you to turn to the book of Luke. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1 and 2 and in part of Matthew 1 this morning. It's, uh, <clears throat> it's 42 verses, so <laughs> I'm not going to spend my normal time on each verse like I like to do. But yesterday, 58 years ago, this is going to, this is going to hurt a little bit, was the first playing of the animated cartoon Charlie Brown's Christmas. Yesterday, 58 years ago. Um, I don't remember that date. Uh, I was still pretty young. But anyway, um, there's a key phrase or key question that Charlie Brown asked in that cartoon. If you haven't seen it, I'm sorry. You should see it because it's a good one. It's not got all the flash of Pixar and Disney, but it's, it's a good cartoon. But there's a, there's a line in there where Charlie Brown's been trying to direct the school play for Christmas. <clears throat> And he just gets so frustrated and everybody's walked out. And he says, could someone please tell me the real meaning of Christmas? The real meaning of Christmas. And Linus provides the answer from the very verses that we're going to look at this morning. So the difference, the account, different accounts that are in our scriptures about Jesus' birth, they need to be read together. They need to be kind of inter intertwined because if we read them in one gospel and then go read the other one, we don't quite know where they fit time-wise and everything. So we need to consider them together. We don't need to separate them. Jesus was born in a supernatural way. I know there's not much talk today about supernatural things when it comes to holiness and God. They, they won't talk about supernatural things with aliens. God's bigger than that, way bigger than that. But he was born in a supernatural manner by using ordinary people, ordinary couple. His birth was revealed and announced to some ordinary people. But their reaction, their belief in what they heard and saw and were challenged with makes some wonderful examples for us. So this morning in the text, we're going to look at the circumstances that lead up to Jesus's birth. God shows the, in those circumstances mighty acts that he does and a lot of faith that they do. Faith by ordinary people. And in the midst of all this, we're going to see that grace is key. Grace is key to all of it. And still today, God seeks ordinary people to do magnificent things. Magnificent things. Things greater than even the birth of the Messiah. Ordinary people to trust him for the mighty act of saving souls. That's what we get to do. He's looking for us to go tell it on the mountain. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this account, these accounts. We thank you for putting them all together. And we thank you for the testimony of the faith of these people, these ordinary people. May you use us in such a way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So what was ordinary about these, this extraordinary faith they had? And, and do, you, do you and I have such faith? That's kind of our question this morning that I want to work on. The historical count of the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, reveals faithfulness in several different people. Several different people. So first, let's go to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. The story begins. 
I'm going to read those verses and we'll talk about them a little bit. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Are we having trouble with the slides? Okay, just checking. So, there's the beginning of the story. Our story starts with a Roman decree. This decree was issued somewhere around 6 B.C. Now, it didn't get to Bethlehem in Palestine until around 4 B.C., which is when Jesus was born. See, they didn't have internet and U.S. Postal Service and UPS and FedEx to ship these decrees. So it had to get by word of mouth. Then it took a while to implement. But it came. And the decree forced everyone to return to their ancestral home. Why, nobody knows. The scholars I read said, we don't know. This was never done before. But it forced everybody to go back to their ancestral home. The Jews were kind of persnickety about that anyway, so maybe they requested that they go back to their ancestral home. I don't know. The Jews always cared who your ancestors were. That way, they didn't know this, but we know this. We could trace Jesus' lineage, but that's another whole sermon. Anyway, so Bethlehem was the prophesied place of the Messiah's birth in Micah 5.2. We know that, and Joseph's ancestral city was Bethlehem. That word means house of bread. That's all it means. But it was David's hometown, and it was Joseph's ancestral home. So whether we realize it or not, Caesar actually played a very unknowingly part, unknowing part in the birth of Christ in getting Jesus' parents to the right place so the prophecy would be fulfilled. It's just God's sovereign hand always working and always moving the chess pieces around. They were both from Nazareth, a small village about 70 miles as the crow flies from, from Bethlehem. But, of course, there wasn't a road that went straight there. They didn't have interstates back then, so they probably took a lot longer, maybe 100 miles to get there. And Mary, his fiancée, would accompany him. <clears throat> now, we don't think of it that way now. But back then, when you were a fiancée of someone, you were betrothed to them. That word means a lot more than fiancée back then. It means you're almost like you're married except without the fringe benefits. Okay? You don't get to stay in the same house and all the other things that go along with that. So... They went together, but she's pregnant. Scandals of scandals. She's pregnant. That's not normal. That's not right. And that's where we got to figure out what's going on here. Something kind of was amiss. You know, many times we have our own story, our own goals, our own plans in mind. We, we know what we're going to do. We, we, we think, oh, I'm going to go do this. Yet yeah, God changes those instructions and those directions. And he introduces something that turns our path in a different, <clears throat> a different direction. I'm here because of that kind of stuff. Is your faith ready for the challenge, though? If you've responded to this challenge in the past, great. You might have to do it again. He doesn't just put one curve in the road. He may put several. 
And so our story starts with this kind of odd wrinkle here. And so we're going to go back nine months, nine months to go to Luke chapter one, verses 26 through 38 and see why in the world is Mary pregnant? Why is she pregnant? Luke chapter one, verses 26 through 38. There we go. Nope. We got it? Okay. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative is Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her, who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. Wow. So that's how she's pregnant. Let's explore that a little bit. So Mary is visited by Gabriel, by Gabriel, to tell her God has other plans for you. Now, who's Gabriel? I'm glad you asked. He's an angel that dwells in the presence of God Almighty. He revealed himself that way to Zechariah, John the baptizer's dad. So he's an important messenger coming straight from the throne room of, of heaven. And she's a virgin. She's engaged, betrothed to Joseph with a future ahead of her as a wife and a mother in that order. <laughs> that was the order she was planning on. But her plans were not wrong. They were just not God's. So Gabriel greets her with this favored woman, the Lord is with you statement. Why Mary? Why? I'm glad you asked. We don't know. We have nothing other than God chose her. We don't know anything about her past. Nothing. We don't know if she went to Sunday school every week, if she, she read her Bible every day. We don't know any of that. We just know that God chose her. God chose her. She had no special qualities. See, grace doesn't need qualifications. And grace doesn't need pedigree. Grace is all God's choice. It's all in God's hands. Grace doesn't need anything from us. Grace just calls us. And that's what he did with Mary. Why an engaged woman? Because God wanted a father on earth 
for his son because that's the way God designed it. So, it's God's way. So, why did Mary think this greeting was odd? Well, she may have never heard something like that before, but here's the real reason I think. She did not see herself as favored. She didn't see herself as special. She had no privilege. She was nothing but a humble girl. Best we can tell. She saw, why are you greeting me that way? Well, Gabriel just goes on. Well, you will, not you might, not if you're willing, you will conceive. You will conceive and give birth. Now, that's some news right there, I'm telling you. Uh, it sounds impossible. We're going to get to that in a minute. And it sounds impossible to her unless she breaks God's law. But what favor is found in this kind of thing? She, and he goes on. He said, Here's what, what's going to happen to this child. The child will be the son of God. The child will be David's heir. The child will reign forever. The child will have an eternal kingdom. Wow. Now that's bonus. That's a lot of, that's a lot of stuff. That's favor from God. So why test Mary's faith like this? What, what's the point of this? Well, let's ask it a different way. Was it really a test or was it a gift? Was it a test or was it a gift? Her response shows that she saw it as a gift. She saw it as something God wanted to do and she was willing to go along with it. She would fulfill the Isaiah 7, 14 prophecy that we talked about last week. A virgin will be with child. She would be mother to the Messiah, David's heir forever. But she's got one question. One question. That's all she's got. It's amazing. I'd have had a lot. I'm sure you would have too. She believed the miracles of the Old Testament. She really did, I think, believe in what the Old Testament told her. But this particular event had her mind a little puzzled. And we know from her response, her heart was committed to God, but her mind needed a little help. Her mind needed just a little bit of help. So Gabriel's answer is given to her, and he says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Does that help? <laughs> Does that help? I don't think so. Matter of fact, Gabriel's answer, I think, required more faith than, than just to believe I was going to have a child without being in relations with a man. I don't know. She had the faith, though. She had it. The question for us is, do we have that kind of faith? See, faith will trust God's answers. That's what happens. Faith will trust God's answers and trust what God's going to do by his power, not mine. By his understanding, not mine. And so here's Gabriel's answer explained. The Trinity produced the incarnate God, the Son of God. And God becomes flesh by the power of our triune God. See, it was, it was all three of them, because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all existed before time began. And now Jesus, God the Son, decides and agrees to become a human being. And together, they work together to produce this child. This is not blind faith, okay? She didn't just agree to it because she was blindly led into this. 
See, God has shows, showed himself to her many times through God's word, the Old Testament. But he shows us himself to whoever will see and believe. That's what, he'll, that's what he does. So Gabriel, he's going to give her a little encouragement here. So he gives her an Abraham-Sarah example of what's going on with her friend, her relative, Elizabeth. Elizabeth is pregnant. But that's, you know, that's a good answer. That's a good help. But the best answer is what he says next. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. Nothing is impossible with God. Everything we see from one end of the universe that we can see to the other end of the universe we can see, nothing is impossible with God. He's got that kind of power. So when faced with any crisis of faith or challenge to the truth, remember this truth. Mary did. Nothing is impossible with God. And her final answer. Her final answer says all we need to know about how to respond to these kind of challenges with our faith. I am the Lord's servant. May it be as you have said. Okay. I don't know that I could have said it like that, but she did. So her faith was tested and she passed with flying colors. An ordinary girl in a nowhere village, Nazareth, says yes to God Almighty. By faith. By faith, she said yes. She didn't negotiate. She didn't try to talk God down. She didn't try to water what God said down. She just agreed to it. May it be. So everything in our life can be seen as either a test or a gift, right? I mean, really. I know it's hard. There's times it's really hard. But it can be a challenge to dread or it can be an opportunity to believe, to embrace. So what kind of questions or reactions would you have faced if you'd been challenged like this? Would you have tried to negotiate with God? Well, God, you know, I had other plans. God's word always gives us one continuing test for our souls. Tell others about my son. That's all he asks us to do. He challenges us every day. Make my salvation that I sent to you through my son available to all, known to all. Tell everybody. See, you receive the same grace that Mary did. I mean, grace is grace, period. You receive the same grace that Mary did. You've been given the glorious duty of telling others about Jesus. So how have you responded? Do you say like Mary do? May it be, Lord, and go and do? Truly, truly, yes is the only correct answer to that question. Yes is the only correct answer because Jesus is Lord. He can't be your Lord if you say no. There's no such thing. He's either... Lord or at all of all, or he's not Lord at all in your life. But the truth is, he is Lord. And faith in Christ says yes to any test he brings you. So let your heart trust Mary like, like Mary did. Let your heart trust God like Mary did. Because remember, she ain't special. She's just chosen. She's just chosen. Mary's faith rose to the challenge. How did Joseph do when he was faced with a challenge? Well, let's see. Let's go over to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Let's see how Joseph faced this same kind of challenge. 
Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. The birth of Jesus came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. So Matthew is writing about this dilemma that Joseph is fading, and he starts kind of innocently. Jesus' birth took place like this. I'm like, there's more to it than that, Matthew. But he kind of just introduces us slowly into this. This is about three months before they make the trip to Bethlehem. Mary returns from visiting Elizabeth, and she is showing. She's got a baby bump. Oops. Elizabeth knew. Zachariah knew, but Joseph didn't know. Mary's parents didn't know. Mary shows up with this cute little baby bump before they were allowed to be intimate. Now, what am I going to do? Now, it was of the Holy Spirit, and Matthew kind of gives us a clue so we don't panic in the middle of reading this. Oh, it's terrible. But he wanted us to know as readers that it was the Holy Spirit. Joseph had no idea. He thought she went down or up to wherever she went to visit Elizabeth and cheated on him. But she didn't. Once Joseph saw the baby bump, though, he said, I'm going to be righteous and I'm going to be compassionate. He's going to be both. And I'm going to divorce her quietly, secretly. Now, I don't know how much, how much secrecy he could keep, but he did not want to disgrace her publicly in accordance with Jewish law. So he just separated or was going to separate the betrothal. He chose to keep it quiet, but the evidence was already public. So we don't know what would happen. Thank God. He, God intervenes, because he does. God intervenes right there. He sends an angel to Joseph in a dream. And I know we've all had dreams, but this was probably a pretty vivid dream and, and pretty exact. And he tells him this, your wife carries the Messiah. You know, surely I was dreaming when he wakes up. No, your, your wife carries the Messiah. Now his fear, and he said, don't be afraid of taking Mary as your wife. His fear centered on the fact that a righteous man would do these things he was planning to do. And he would protect the, the woman, but he would have to separate from her to be righteous according to God's law that he gave to Moses. Joseph just wanted to please God. And now he learns the Holy Spirit part that we talked about earlier. And that changes everything to Joseph. God also gives Joseph more news. It's going to be a boy which he kind of knew because it was going to be the Messiah. But So Joseph, go and do this. He says, take her to be your wife, name the child Jesus. He will save his people from sin. So either he could accept it or reject it, but there really is only one right answer when God confronts you like that. You got to do it. 
You got to say yes, Lord. When God's word comes to you, you need to say yes. He had the same faith attitude that Mary did, which is obvious by his response. It was supernatural. He had to trust God in this. So Joseph may have not known all the ramifications of what this was going to mean, but he accepted the gift. And notice how he just didn't hesitate. He got up after the dream and he went. He woke up, took her as his wife, honored the virgin miracle, and Joseph's heart trusted and obeyed. Trusted and obeyed. Any questions he had in his mind, he just entrusted them to God. Any questions. And I'm sure I would have had a bunch. I'm sure he had a bunch. Now remember that Joseph would have been well within his right to have broken off the engagement. Well within his right to have ended that betrothal and separate from her. But the conviction in his heart said, I need to obey God. After the angel's explanation and told him to obey, he needed to, and he knew he did. He was an ordinary carpenter, just an ordinary carpenter in a little town called Nazareth. I mean, it's a spot in the road back then. But he was chosen to be the earthly father to the son of God. He was tested. His faith was. How did he do? He passed. Would you? Would you have passed? Some of you may be sitting here thinking, now, well, if I'd have had an angel come visit me in a dream, I w- that would be easy, right? You know what? We can use that as an excuse all day, but it is just that, an excuse. We have two things much better. We have two persons much better. We have God the Son and we have God the Holy Spirit. Jesus changed our hearts. He saved us. We have a different heart. Mary believed in God, but she had not, quote unquote, been saved at this point, probably. She may have had the faith of Abraham. We don't know. But God, the son, saved our souls. And the Holy Spirit now lives inside us to instruct us, to guide us, to lead us better than any angel, better than any angel could ever be, better than a dream. We have God's word that was given by Jesus and the Holy Spirit that we can read and we can dissect and we can look in there for guidance. We don't need a dream. We don't need an angel showing up. We don't need that. We have everything we need in God's Son and God's Spirit. We have so much more than Mary and Joseph had. So much more than Mary and Joseph had. Yet we seem to be hesitant. We seem to be careful. We seem to be cautious. When we hear from God, we say things, yeah, but. Okay, God, but. We kind of have these caveats, we point out, these, these excuses. And that's actually an act of faithlessness, really. We don't need to be a yeah, but Christian, really. We need to be one who says, like Mary did, may it be done as you say. See, faithful believers read God's word and actively obey it without questions or negotiations. You hear me on that? We don't have to negotiate with God. We've got his word. He tells us what we need to be doing. There's no reason to negotiate. So take all your caveats and your excuses and throw them out with the used wrapping paper this, this season. Get rid of them. And trust Jesus totally, like Mary and Joseph did. He promises that if you live by faith, he promises this, if you live by faith, you will experience supernatural joy supernatural peace and supernatural hope 
And if you know Jesus and you've been living with Jesus and for Jesus for a while, you know I'm telling you the truth. God promises that by faith in his son. Mary and Joseph, they passed their test by seeing God's gift instead of seeing a problem. They accepted the challenge. Now we go back to the story in Luke chapter 2. The rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, Luke chapter 2, verses 6 through 21, I want to read that. All of that. Get over to the right page. So picking up at verse 6. While they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today, in the city of David, a Savior is born for you, who is Messiah, the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what her heart, at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard which were just as they had been told. When the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. Wow, there's a lot in there. We're not going to cover everything closely, but by God's mighty providence, Mary had the baby in Bethlehem. Imagine that. That's where she was supposed to have it. That's where the Messiah was supposed to be born, of course. So Jesus was born of a virgin. He was wrapped up in cloth, not a baby blanket, a cloth. Uh, they didn't have diapers back then. Cloth, just strips of cloth and laid in a manger, a manger, a feeding trough, a feeding trough. Sometimes they were carved out of rock, but sometimes they were made with wood. And that one looks pretty close to what would possibly be in the barn. Yes, Jesus was born in a barn, a cave, some shelter for animals. There was no guest rooms available in Bethlehem because you know what? Bethlehem's not like Altamont with three hotels, okay? Bethlehem is small. No hotels probably, maybe one inn, as they call them. And inns were not ever a very safe place. There was no room because there was a whole bunch of people there for the census. There was a lot of things that came together at once. So why was he born in a barn? Well, I'm glad you asked. It was a lowly place. It was a humble place. It was unnoticed by the crowds, unnoticed by the crowds around in there for the census. All this took place. And then meanwhile, out in the pastures, outside of town, probably way outside of town, shepherds were grouping their flocks at night to bed them down and watch over them at night. 
That's how you, that's how you take care of shepherds, I mean, sheep in the open field is you, you put them in a huddle. Sometimes you build a makeshift pen around them back then. It was dark. It was quiet. And it was calm. Probably just the crickets and the lowing sheep just sitting there making no noise. And all of a sudden, an angel arrives. Okay, so imagine a complete dig dark area and all of a sudden there's light everywhere and, and you're blinded by it. And an angel shows up. And he has so much light and glory, it scares them to death. It would me. But the angel has a message for them. We ask this question again, why them? Why them? What purpose did it sh 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 serve? It was by grace. Once again, by grace. God chose them to hear first the news of the birth of the king. They were low in status. Shepherds were considered kind of low, lower on the lower end, probably just above garbage men back then. I don't know, but they were low in status, but they were high on God's list, very high. They were the first to know, the first to know. The angel gives them the most amazing news. These Jewish shepherds are the first to hear the Messiah, the son of David, born in Bethlehem tonight. Born in Bethlehem tonight. All people can benefit from this news. Anyone who will listen. That's a caveat that the Bible teaches us that it's not just anybody that knows that Jesus existed. It's those who will listen intently to what the Messiah came for. The long-awaited Messiah has come. Every Jew has been waiting for this for over 400 years. The last book in the Bible, Malachi, was the last thing written by a prophet. And now he is here. Not only that, but you can go see him. Not only is he here, the angel says, but you can go see him. He's close, just over the hill maybe. And here is how you'll find him. He will be wrapped in cloth, not a baby blanket, and he will be lying in a manger, a feed trough. He will be in a barn. Pretty specific, right? Easy, right? For shepherds it is. They probably know where every barn is in Bethlehem. And there probably isn't that many. But he knew, they knew exactly they, which they could search. They could go to every barn and if the, the, if the trough had tr hay in it, there was probably not a baby in it. They could search real quickly and they found him. That's why God gave them such a sign. But before they could even process this message, now you've got a choir of angels. Now you've got a heavenly host praising God. And saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill to men. They were amazed by this. They received a concert from heaven. It was great. Grace continues to show up in this whole story. He could have just sent the angel, tell the shepherds and let them go. But no, he gave them a choir. I think heaven was ready to burst open and tell everybody and sing like that. I think the angels were like, can we go now? Can we go now? Can we sing? Can we sing? They wanted to come down here and tell us that Jesus had been born. So these shepherds, like Mary and Joseph, found themselves favored by God with this event. Why did they decide to go see? Well, because that's the reason he told them. There's no, there's no other reason why, for it. Why did they go see? Because why else would God tell them that the kid was alive nearby? God favored them with the news. He expected them to go see and to share the news. That's what he expected. They went. 
They found the stable, the barn, the cave, whatever it was. They visited with Mary and Joseph. They told them about the choir and the whole experience with the angels. And they were like, yeah, we've had one of those too. I mean, they had a common connection there. And then they left and they probably told everybody they came in contact with. And probably a lot of them went, ah, oh, silly shepherds. Some of them went, they were amazed. Everyone who heard the story, it says, was amazed. But that doesn't necessarily mean they believed it. They just were amazed. That word in the Greek is kind of a puzzling word. It's like they're marveling and pondering. They're mulling it over. They're in a quizzical fashion in, in a sense. They're trying to decide, am I going to believe this or not? So they were amazed to hear a wonderful story like that. But the shepherds, they believed. They believed because the angels had told them and they had seen the Messiah. They had no doubt the Messiah had been born. But Mary just, according to this passage, just reflects on all of this. She's reflecting it. She's treasuring it. She's pondering on it. She's, as, as it says, meditating on it. And I think Luke puts this particular verse in here to give us a glimpse of Mary's future, to give the reader a glimpse of what's going to happen to Mary. She'll be with Jesus to the very end. She will watch her firstborn son be treated, mistreated, hated, abused, and eventually crucified. And I am sure during all of those events that she accompanied Jesus with, these memories come back. These reminders of what it was like the night he was born. So the shepherds, they honored God, they returned to their flocks, and they thanked God for the good news. And so to complete the story, eight days later, in accordance with the Mosaic law, Jesus was circumcised, and he was given the name Jesus. Why? Because he saves his people from the bondage and control of their sins. He saves them. He saves his people. We are his people. We are the ones that he saves. Remember when you realized at one point in your life, you realized you needed the good news? You needed the good news that there was a Savior? You needed the good news regarding your eternal soul's damnation? I hope you remember that day. If you haven't had that day, we can talk about that too. You came to a point when you realized that, that you knew your sins were going to condemn you to hell. You came to that point in your life some, at some point. You knew that eternal punishment was coming. And it will. Your sins will punish you forever unless you trust Jesus. Who gave you that good news? Who shared with you that truth? They were your angel, like the angel that shared with the shepherds. If you have this good news, you are called, like the shepherds, to spread the good news, to spread the message, to carry it wherever you can. Now, if you've never believed this good news, let me be your messenger right now. Jesus can save you from your sins. Jesus can save you from the bondage and control, eternal damnation of your sins. He has the power to do that. It takes faith, just like Mary, Joseph, the shepherds. These ordinary people had faith, and you can have the same faith. Believe that Jesus is is and can be your Lord and Savior. Because I want you to pass the test of faith. I want you to pass that test. So in the story of Jesus' birth, God shows us faith that's ready to obey, that completely trusts him, 
And they all react with, yes, Lord, we will do this. Yes, Lord, may it be. Faithfulness is trusting God no matter what happens. That's faithfulness. Faithfulness to God is trusting God no matter what happens. And believers, we must seek this kind of faith. We must seek to be and live our lives this way. That's what we're given the good news for. Now, even if they weren't perfect, and we aren't either, they trusted God when they were faced with these dilemmas. They trusted him. They didn't quibble. They didn't negotiate. So you, we need to ask ourselves, what do we believe? Do you believe that Jesus is God who became man, that he went to the cross and died for our sins to pay our sin debt? Do you understand that the only benefit you can gain from this event that we talked about today is by trusting Jesus? Because that's the only benefit. It's, it's a nice story. People like Christmas and they decorate for it. They'll even put out angels and nativity scenes in their yards and everything. But do they believe? Do they trust that Jesus is the only way they can be saved for eternity? That's the only way to get a benefit from this. Do you trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and to be Lord of your life? That, Charlie Brown, is the real meaning of Christmas. So let's pray. Let's pray. take some time to pray right now for souls to see their need to believe in Jesus. I have a time of silent prayer, and then I'll close this out after a few minutes.